will try to make sure that uh, this is meaningful and a blessing to all of us. When you're uh, a lawyer, you get uh, regularly through your career, you get people telling you lawyer's jokes, and they then laugh, and they want you to laugh with them, even though you've heard the joke before. So when you're going to speak on the subject of silence and solitude, everyone that you speak to for about the month before makes a joke about how you're going to be speaking on silence and solitude, and right up to Nick doing the introduction, right? And so I'm trying politely to laugh at each person's attempt to, you know, joke about silence and solitude. I have even suggested myself that for the first time in the history of my 30 years here at RBC, that even though my French is somewhat limited, I could give this talk in both official languages. But we will actually uh, try to discuss the subject and uh, hopefully all grow through this. So, just in the last uh, few days, you've seen in the news probably the amazing story of Caroline Cote that successfully made the journey to the South Pole in a record 34 days and certain number of hours. And this is a phenomenal feat. And to hear, to read about it, to see the uh, interviews with her is really quite uh, phenomenal. But what fascinates everybody in the story, and each article writes about it, is silence and solitude. We are, as human beings, that are used to communication, that are used to noise, that are used to being together, we are fascinated with the concept of silence and solitude. We picture her going along 34 days and a number of hours, and as she said, she saw no animals and no human beings. So for 34 days, she certainly had solitude. Then you find out she didn't really have silence because, in fact, if you read the articles, she was listening to all sorts of stuff on her headphones. She must have had solar or something to recharge her batteries. And she, of course, was listening to podcasts and listening to all sorts of things while she was going along. So she had solitude, but she didn't necessarily have silence. However, we are quite amazed and fascinated by that. Now, we have also seen silence and solitude in not a great scenario. Katie and I have many times been in a restaurant and we have seen couples sitting in the restaurant, sometimes a really nice restaurant, and you used to see the oftentimes, I think the men were mostly guilty of this. I don't picture it too many times being the woman, but you would often see the man with a newspaper open in front of him or a magazine, but oftentimes it was a newspaper. So it was big spread out newspaper. And here's his wife sitting across the table from him. And you just groan. You kind of look at it and go, oh my goodness. And nowadays, if you look at the picture at the bottom, which might be a little hard to see, but both of them are on their iPads or smartphones or whatever. And so they're sitting there 
again in a romantic setting, but of course both on their devices. This is the, the challenge that we have often in terms of relational uh, connectedness, of, act, of quiet, of intimacy. We tend to be distracted. And it takes effort, it takes discipline, it takes commitment to actually go against this tendency and actually have uh, solitude, silence, intimacy to be together uh, in a relationship. I am blessed with a wife that I may reference a few times today, today, but I have to be careful because she is here in the audience. She used to teach Sunday school all the time, and then I had full freedom. But it's, I now have to be much more careful. But with uh, Katie has always made sure that uh, our phones, like when we're going to be together, uh, she calls it a phone date. And those phones better be on the stairs, go up, or they better be somewhere else. And if I pull out that phone, which uh, can happen, you know, once or twice in our marriage, um, if that happens, that phone is going fast. In fact, she has offered to flush it a number of times, though she actually hasn't done that yet. But why is that? Well, it's clearly because she wants us to have time together. And so that is a, actually a sign of her love, amazing as that may be. So we've got this thing going on in terms of relationship and intimacy and what we are talking about in our series, uh, this 10-week uh, series that we are in, is knowing Christ and becoming more like him, and what that means from a relational standpoint. So, in the first five weeks that I'm just outlining here, I decided not to outline all 10, but we are kind of midway through the first five. We talked about intimacy, we talked about uncluttering your life, you, we heard the first message was from Andrew, the second one was from Steve, and now this week is so silence and solitude. Then we will be talking next week about surrender and the next one on prayer. We have sort of uh, crafted this series around a book by Charles Swindoll called So You Want to Be Like Christ. And I would encourage all of us to read it. It is an awesome book, and it is very, uh, it's not sometimes, I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes people will suggest a book to you, and it's a thousand pages, and it's, you know, something that sort of weighs you down when you take it. Uh, this is not one of those. This is sort of 200 pages, and takes you through some of the areas and things we are talking about in this series. <clears throat> we are also looking carefully at the life of Jesus. Andrew mentioned it actually in our first service this morning, in the communion service, a verse from Peter that says that he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. The life of Jesus models for us how we should in fact live life. And so when you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, you actually see a pattern for living, choices that he made, the, how he spent his time, how he handled different situations, and we, we do well, as those that love and follow Jesus, to actually study his life and look for 
things in how he handled the different situations or how he lived, what he said, just how he lived his life to model that in our lives. So that's the series that we are in. And, and today, as I've said, we're on silence and solitude. Now, what I want to try to convey today is that Jesus wants a personal relationship with us. There's a phrase that, that is, can kind of be said easily, it can almost sound cliche, to say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But that is very, very true. It bothers me a great deal. I work with an organization called Youth for Christ, and we have people all around the world that are sharing the gospel. And oftentimes, when you're dealing with government or you're dealing with uh, different people that are looking at things from a sort of a secular standpoint, they will speak of Christianity as one of the world religions. And each time that happens, I, sometimes I, I have to kind of accept it because I know what they're trying to say or what they're doing in the situation. But inside, I sort of go, you know, like, no, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is an invitation into a personal relationship with our Creator God and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. So, the, my, the thing I want to make sure we understand today is that we are being invited into an intimate relationship. We are receiving a phenomenal proposal. I have had the privilege of raising a number of girls. And as those girls grow up, they have these images, these thoughts of that day that might come where they may be proposed to. Now, in, back in the day when, like 47 years ago, when I made that proposal, I didn't have nearly the creativity that guys are doing today. So, like back then, we simply asked the lady we wanted to marry if she would marry us. And we didn't think about the whole setting, and was it up on top of a mountain, and how do I get a photographer there, and how do I get whatever, and how does it, like, no, we didn't do all that. But what we still had was a proposal. Now, the message of the gospel, the message of Christianity is that you and I are proposed to by our Creator God. He invites us into a relationship with Himself. And He has opened the way for that relationship through the blood of Jesus on the cross. That is the message. That is the big idea. And all of these spiritual disciplines have to do with, with us entering into and deepening and, and coming to, to really experience and enjoy that relationship. 
in a human relationship, there are flaws on both sides. And so you end up with an imperfect marriage every time. I have never yet seen one that is perfect. When you're in leadership in the church as an elder, sometimes you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to help a couple through a difficult time. And when you find yourself in that situation, you never come away saying, the, the problem is all on this side. The one side is perfect, doing everything 100%, and the problem is all on the other side. You find it's always that there's, there's challenges on both sides. In this relationship that we are invited into, God the Father is perfect in his side. He wants a relationship. He longs for a relationship. He is always ready for that relationship. He wants to take as much time for that relationship as we are prepared to give to him. There is no bounds. There is no limits. He is the perfect other side for this relationship. So the challenge is up to us. Now we go to the model that Jesus gave to us. I have taken two examples from the start of his ministry and the end of his ministry, and, but there are many others through it where you see this. So in, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus at the start of his ministry. It says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil then went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. And then as the title in the version I use says, right for the next section, the ministry of Jesus begins. And I thought I would put that in there, even though that's not actually a scripture, because this shows you the setting. This story happens, this event takes place, just at the start of Jesus' public ministry. The 34 days that Carolyn Cote took is almost the length of time that Jesus spent. But Jesus spent it alone. He spent it not listening to podcasts. And he fasted during this time. The Lord Jesus models for us silence and solitude. 
a time of intimacy with his father. Now we notice some other things that you observe as you watch this. Satan had been successful in every human being from Adam on down by tempting basically in three ways, and you see them here. In, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. After 40 days of fasting, Satan was appealing to the lusts of our flesh. And this had worked for him phenomenally for 4,000 years. The devil takes him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and says, jump off. The angels will protect you. In that, you have the pride of life. Another thing that Satan uses over and over again. And then you have the, the third one, where he takes him to the very high point, shows him the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it to you. Maybe that was the pride of life, and the other one was the lust of the eyes, or vice versa. You could argue those either way. But you can see Satan is playing with the things that have worked over and over again to cause men and women to fall. You see it today in advertising. If you take a scantily clad woman, put her on the hood of a fancy car in front of a phenomenal hotel, and you have all of marketing, and you have all of Satan's means, that have worked since the beginning of time. But Jesus has spent time with the Father. Jesus has spent time alone. And when Satan comes to him with these things, for the first time in the history of man, there is no response. All there is, is scripture given back. And in that, we have another amazing thing for us to learn. Jesus as a man, as a human being, he had taken scripture and memorized it. He knew the scriptures. He actually was able to answer Satan's three rebukes, or Satan's three temptations, all from the book of Deuteronomy. If you look it up, every one of those quotations, you can see the little B, C, D, whatever, in what you see on the screen. That's because it references back to a verse from the, from the book of Deuteronomy that Jesus quotes to him in response. And Jesus knew how to apply the word of God. So, marvel at it. Marvel at the fact that, say, that Jesus modeled for us this time alone with the Father. And then, as it says, when the devil went away, the angels came and took care of Jesus. Then we go to the most, probably, the most holy ground in all of Scripture. And that's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus went on and lived his three years of public ministry. He did amazing healings and uh, all sorts of teaching. The Lord Jesus modeled and taught for us the Father such that he could say to Philip in John 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Lord Jesus lived out this life of perfection. But now we see him contemplating the cross where he was actually going to take your sins and my sins and take them upon himself. 
And in Matthew 26 and verse 36, watch to see the solitude and silence that happens here. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove, that's with the disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went away to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And then Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Here we see Jesus in another time of intense personal relationship with his Father. You see that there is a distance that the twelve disciples can go. Then there is a distance that the three, the ones that were the closest to him, could go. And then there is a time, uh, uh, there is a part of this that Jesus needs to do alone. And in that, brothers and sisters, we have an amazing model for our journey as Christians. You and I need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other on this journey. We cannot do it alone. It is so good to be past COVID and be able to be back together, to see the church full again, to be here together worshiping together. Praise the Lord. We need this. And so you see the 12 that are with Jesus for part of this. Then we need those that are really close to us. We need those that are really shoulder to shoulder with us on the journey. We need those that we can really share some of, of the, the hurts and the pains and the struggles and the ups and the downs that we go through. And that can't be 12 or 20 or 50. We need a few that can really, really walk with us. And I encourage you, if you don't have a few in your life, to look for those. Intentionally seek them out. Jesus chose Peter and James and John to be those intimate three that walked with him more closely and were part of that journey with him. But there was also a time when Jesus needed to be alone with the Father. And you and I will miss so much of the Christian journey and so much of the relationship that we are invited into if our Christianity is only with others. If our Christianity is only when we are together with other people, we miss the most intimate, the most touching, the most heart-to-heart -heart relationship that God invites us into. So I encourage you, I invite you to have those three levels in your relationship with the Lord that we see so modeled here. When Jesus is alone, 
we see him in that deepest moment of surrender. And I believe that true surrender only comes when you and I are in solitude and silence before God. We can have trusted Jesus as our Savior. We can see that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for us. And that is amazing. That is wonderful. But that is the basis, the foundation of a relationship that God invites us into. And that relationship is so much deeper, and it needs to be experienced through quiet and through time alone with God. You can see Jesus actually submitting to the Father's will here. You can see him in the agony of having to become the sin-bearer, the one that would take our sins and make them his own and bear the judgment for them, that he says, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me. But then in that aloneness of his relationship with the Father, he says, but not my will, but yours be done. Let me also point out that the words he spoke take but a few moments to say, but he speaks of being with the Father for an hour. There was a lot of time there for silence, for hearing back from the Father. Why? What are the hindrances? Why is it that we struggle with this? There's a great verse in Psalm 27, verse 8, that says, in the NASB, I think it is, I didn't write it down, but there's one of the translations where it says, the Lord says, or my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me, and my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Now, I grew up in a family of six children. There were many chores to be done. I can still hear, my mother is in heaven now, I can still hear her saying, David, come and put out the garbage. And what would I answer? Mom, I'm coming. And then I would continue doing whatever I was doing. Did that bring any memories there? Brothers and sisters, you and I are invited into intimacy with God our Father. The tendency is for us to say, I'm coming. And then we keep doing whatever we were doing. Hear these words from the psalmist this morning. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. The Lord Jesus invites you. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my words and will open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The Lord invites you into a relationship, but it has to be done. This intimate relationship needs to be done in silence and in solitude. It needs to be done alone with the Father. Now, I was struggling with this. If there is anything here that blesses you, let me tell you that it was a team effort. There are those in this fellowship that we connect with when we're going to speak, 
and we share and we pray together and they build into us. And when I share some of this this morning, it's the result of those times together. One of the things that I struggled with that I shared with some that we were chatting together about this yesterday was the scariness of solitude for many. If you have had some difficult, dark struggles in your life, and you carry some baggage and some memories and some deep hurts and pains with you, then there is a scaredness, there is a, there's a fear in aloneness. And so you tend to, we tend to, keep the music on, keep the noise going, keep things going, because we don't want, we fear that silence, we fear that solitude. But here is the amazing reality of the children of God. And I know you've heard this a thousand times, but hear it in a new way this morning. We are never alone. Think about it. When you and I have come to know and follow Jesus, there is really no such thing as solitude. We say, alone with God, right? So think about it. There's a, it this dawned on me in a new way as I was preparing this and studying this, that, that I am truly never alone. I have God with me all the time. His Spirit lives in me. So why should I fear to be alone? I, I am coming into the very presence of God. So, brothers and sisters, if there is a fear, if there's a hesitancy here because you don't want to be alone, I invite you to hear the words of the Savior today. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and spend time with the Lord Jesus. We find in coming to him that we come under, where we find submission to his lordship in our lives, is when we spend time alone with him. We see that modeled in Gethsemane. We also find when we spend time with him that we worship. We learn more and more who Jesus really is. In the different settings where you have Jesus alone through his life, it is interwoven with times when he displays his power and when, in fact, those that follow him come to recognize and worship him. We need that time alone with the Savior. There is a tendency amongst us as Christians today to turn Jesus into an imaginary friend. Somebody that we can imagine in our minds, grab a few scriptures, but, but put aside the ones that don't fit our lifestyle or fit how we would like Jesus to be, and make up our own kind of Jesus and then worship him. When you get into the presence of God, with his word open, where you are coming under his lordship, then you find yourself worshiping the true Jesus. Not the one that we have made up, but the one that in fact is revealed to us through his word. And when we get there, we find that, as it says in Romans 8, the spirit of God witnesses with our spirit 
He communes with our spirit and assures us that we are his children. So, how do we do this? Let me wrap with this. How do we do this? So, I say, first of all, remember, it's alone with. It is not truly being alone, but being with Jesus. Find your quiet place. For me, it's water. When I can be close to water, somehow it does it for me. Other people have different places or situations, whatever, but find out what works for you where you can truly be quiet. Do it daily. Do it daily. I, I try to start every day sitting on the side of my bed with a couple of minutes of just thanking the Lord for all his blessings in my life. It's really hard to be thankful and grumpy. Katie will assure you I still get grumpy sometimes. But it's a time that has become precious and meaningful for me. Take it in baby steps. Some of us, are, uh, some of us have been on this journey for a long time. I got a text yesterday with a photos of pages from a book that I had also read, but this book that I reread after getting the nudge from a younger brother amongst us, what the pictures in it were from a sister amongst us. I gotta be careful that I don't say age when it comes to sisters. So just say a sister that has had many years to walk with the Lord, and she had things highlighted in that, and so this brother had sent me photos of the sister's book so that I would be able to actually see. And I was comparing what she had underlined with what I had highlighted in the version that I had. Folks, start the journey. If you're not spending quiet time just with Jesus, start. If you need to start at 10 minutes a day, that's great, but start. Now, one other thing without silence. It's, without silence, it's a one-sided conversation. James talks so directly and actually quite hilariously about the tendency of our tongues to go. I have a dear, 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 dear brother. Uh, I'll just call him Dr. R. And don't worry, it's not Dr. D. Uh, he doesn't live in this town. It is Dr. R. But Dr. R is a major donor to the organization that I work with. So once a year, I have to go and visit Dr. R. And when I go there, I know that I will do, like, he does 99% of the talking. So I go there, I come in, and he starts talking. I was there the last time for seven hours. And at the end, he told me to, uh, asked me to pray, and he then was off raving to the people that, uh, that he was outside talking to about how well he'd gotten to know me. And it was quite funny. In fact, when they, I came out, the uh, office that he works in actually clapped. And they claimed that I had set the record for the amount of time that, that um, he did let me use his private washroom through that time, which was special. But brothers and sisters, you and I, we laugh, and there's something funny about it, but you and I can be guilty of the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. We can do 99% of the talking, and then think we have a relationship with God. Right? Guilty? Yeah. Uh, uh, trust me, I, I'm no master at this, okay? We need to be quiet and know 
that he is God. So designate a time and a place every day. Be alone with God. And remember, if we can click once more, remember that you are being proposed to. You are being invited into a relationship. Can we get that? There you go. Picture yourself like that with the Father. He is inviting you into that, that intimacy of a lifelong relationship. And together, brothers and sisters, we will become more and more like Jesus. Let's close by singing together. Andrew's going to come up and play this. And don't worry, it's not long. We're going to sing number 343 in the hymnal, just the first verse, and we're going to sing it twice as our closing prayer. Let's be still this week and be silent before him.